Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's good to see you, New Life Downtown. How are you today? Good? Hey, if you are new or newer or visiting today, we welcome you in the name of Jesus. If you're watching online today, we want to say hi to you and hope that you are doing well. Uh, we miss you and hope that sometime you'll be able to join us here in person. You know, for some of you, that won't be possible for a while. And just know that you are in our thoughts and in our prayers. If you are new or newer, uh, we'd love to get to know you. I'm catching my breath. I was helping move something down here. And I'm, ex- I'm like, breathing heavy. I'm getting old. I think that's the, that's the deal. Uh, but if you're new or newer, we'd love to get to know you. There's a QR code here. If you could scan that, fill out a guest card, let us know that you're here. Stop by the Welcome Center after service. We'd love to give you a gift. And then periodically we do a newcomer's lunch. We'll be doing another one in November that we'd love for you to join. Uh, But my name's Jason. This is New Life Downtown. We're one of the eight congregations of New Life Church here in the city. Our mission as a church community is to make disciples across the whole Pikes Peak region by calling people to worship, to connect, and to serve. And we have a unique kind of blending of things. You'll notice in our service that we are a charismatic church, so you'll see people expressing themselves and worship with clapping and raising their hands. And we are a church that's deeply rooted in historical practices. So we come to the table every week, and today we're celebrating water baptism. So it's a great Sunday uh, to be here to celebrate uh, today. We have uh, last count 12 people that we're going to baptize today and to celebrate with. But as we begin, I want to read this Psalm to you. Psalm 27, beginning in verse 4, says this, I have asked one thing from the Lord. It's all I seek. This is the psalmist's prayer, the psalmist's desire, the psalmist's longing, the one thing that he's praying and asking and continuing to petition and ask God for is to live in the Lord's house all the days of my life, seeing the Lord's beauty going on and constantly adoring his temple because he will shelter me in his own dwelling during troubling times. He'll shelter me in his own dwelling. He'll hide me in a secret place in his own tent. He will set me up high, safe on a rock. The psalmist here is saying, I want to be in the presence of God. But that is my longing, that's my hunger, that's my desire, is to be in the very presence of Jesus. And so as we come into worship today, this is our longing. Whether we can articulate it or not, deep in our souls, we were made for the presence of God. We were made for relationship with God and with one another and to be in his presence. And so Jesus, we ask that you would make us aware of your presence here today. We long for, we want to encounter you through the Holy Spirit. So spirit of the living God fall afresh on us today as we worship, as we study the scriptures, as we celebrate the sacraments and as we commune with one another, spirit of God come and meet us here. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's worship together. We're here to worship our King this morning, to remember all he's done. We'll sing this together.
26, the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. We're like those who dream. Oh God, make us like those who dream today. Set us free, fill our hearts with wonder as we stand in awe of your greatness, your power, your glory. Fill our tongues with songs of joy, God. Restore, restore what's broken. Set us free once again as we worship you. The starry host, you trace the mountain peaks, 
You paint the evening skies with wonders. The earth, it is your throne from desert to the sea. All nature testifies your splendor. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Sing His greatness, all creation. Praise the Lord. Raise your voice, you heights and all you depths. From furthest east to west, let Let's sing this together, family. You reached into the dust and love your spirit breathed. You made us in your very likeness. To know your wondrous works, to tell your mighty deeds, to join the everlasting greatness in all creation throughout history and now we turn our hearts to the ways he's been good to us in our story 
days I've been held in your hands From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head Oh, I will see Of the goodness of God truth today surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever just want to remind you today that you're held in the sovereign hands of the king your future is secure 
as you rest in him. No matter what it looks like on the outside right now, no matter what kind of circumstances are surrounding you, trials, difficulties, the truth is we are held in the sovereign hands of the King. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives and we will dwell in his house forever. Let's rest in that today.
Jesus, here in your power, here in your grace, here in your mercy, here in your presence, here in your love, we stand here with you. Continue to make us more aware of your presence, of your mercy, of your grace, of your work, of your invitation, of your power, of your spirit throughout this morning into our week. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated this morning. As I said before, this is Baptism Sunday. Uh, yes, the day of great celebration. So I want to invite all the baptism candidates, if you can come and begin to line up across the front here facing the congregation. Uh, we're going to talk to you here in just a second. So if you want to line up here, face out that way. Uh, we do this a couple times a year that we come together and celebrate baptism. Baptism is a historic practice of the church uh, that goes back to the very beginning and has so much significance to it. One thing I want to share about it today is that baptism is in many ways an incorporation, not in the way that we think about it in business terms, uh, but it's an incorporation into Jesus that we say throughout the scriptures, the scriptures say that we've been baptized into Christ. We've been baptized with Christ into him and into his body that as these candidates come down and are baptized, they're being united to Jesus's story. They're going under the water, being buried with him, coming up out of the water, being raised to new life. They're incorporated into his great work of salvation. They're also identifying themselves with Jesus, saying Jesus has claimed me, has rescued me, has delivered me, being identified with him. And we do it here in the body because to be united to Jesus is to be united with his people, to be united with all of you as well. So this is why we do this here in public. In just a second, I'm gonna come down, I'm gonna ask them all some questions uh, that go back historically in the history of the church you'll notice some of the words because they made their way into the creeds. These are ancient baptismal questions that the church has been using for a long time. It's a chance for them to affirm their faith in Jesus. But don't be mistaken. The most important thing that's happening this morning is not our proclamation of faith in Jesus. The most important thing that's happening is the mysterious work of God and the Holy Spirit in their lives that brought them to this moment and will continue in their lives through this moment. Right? That's the most important thing. That's what we're celebrating here is the mystery and the grace of God that's present in their lives. Uh, as a congregation, I'm going to ask you to do a couple things. When we read the questions to them and ask them to reaffirm their faith, I'm going to ask you to answer as well. So you'll join uh, their, your voices with theirs. And then when they go in to be uh, baptized, I want you to do two things in that moment. One is just be praying for them. Take this next several minutes. Be praying over each and every one of these people and ask that the work of God would continue in their lives. And then when they come up out of the waters, I want you to join the company of heaven and celebrate like crazy. Um, so get loud, uh, scream, yell, dance, clap, whatever you need to do. Uh, just go ahead and join in uh, that chorus from there. All right, I'm gonna come down. Hi, everyone. How are you? Good? Yes? <laughs> Hi, so good to see you guys. Can everybody see me over there? All right, I'm gonna ask you these baptism questions and we're gonna join right along with you. Uh, so when I say the question, it'll be like, do you? 
And then I'll say, if so, say I do. And then you'll shout, I do. Can you practice a shout for me real quick? All right, we'll get louder as we go along. All right, here we go. First question comes up. This is a short one. The second one's the long one. Ready? Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? If so, say, I do. I do. Yeah, join along in. All right, second one. This is one you got to wait for me for a little while, okay? It's a long one. Do you believe in Christ Jesus, the Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through whom all things are made, who came down from heaven and was born of the Holy Spirit and of the Virgin and was made man and who was crucified and died and rose again on the third day, living from among the dead and ascended onto heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father and who will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. If so, say, I do. All right, third question, here we go. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father? If so, say, I do. All right, last one. Do you believe in the Holy Church, the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come? If so, say, I do. All right, I'm going to pray for you, and then we'll get you lined up. Jesus, in your name, we pray that you would stir up these waters. Stir up the waters of baptism and Holy Spirit. Come and meet every single one of these individuals. Meet them with your power and with your presence, and continue your ongoing work of sanctification in their lives. May this be a moment where they know the Spirit of God was with them, transforming them into the image and likeness of Jesus and helping and empowering them to live in the way that leads to life. In your name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, let's go for it. Over there, Lakin. Is it all right? Yeah, but I need to They're crops. They're all right. Here. With your back this way, okay? Yeah, there you go, Ben. That's perfect. Okay. All right, Lakin. Hmm. Having professed your faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. Turn around the other direction, Lindley. Can you turn around the other way? There you go. All right, Lindley Becker, based on your confession of faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, Lindley. Sit here and face that way. Yep. Thank you, baby. Go. Plug your nose. There you go. Perfect. Rosie, given your confession of faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Ghost.
right, Peyton, based on your confession of faith, we now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You filled with the Spirit of God, Peyton. Turn around, face it over. Isley, given your confession of faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. Hi, Lucy. How are you? Good. You want to turn around and face that direction, and then sit on down, and then just like this, and then hold your other hand right there. Uh, right up there. There you go. All right, Lucy. Based upon your confession of faith, we now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Filled with the Holy Spirit, Lucy. <laughs> Olivia, based on your confession of faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We fill the Spirit of God. I'm here dumping a little bit extra water in here. Um, the next group of three, their grandmother got a chance to go and visit the Jordan River and bring back some water from there. So we've added some extra water in here for the O'Brien family. Joseph, if you want to turn around and sit on down there. All right, Josie. Based upon your confession of faith, we now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, Josie. Matt, based on your confession of faith, Matt, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit of God. All right, Corey, based upon your confession of faith, we now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Spirit of God. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Scoot forward a little bit. Tracy, based on your confession of faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Be filled with the Spirit of God. Based upon your confession of faith, we now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The world of the Spirit of God. All right, church, let's stand and sing and celebrate together. The highest king would welcome me. 
together and give God thanks for what he's done today through these baptisms, through these stories, these testimonies of God's goodness. You guys are free to take a seat. We're going to continue in worship with our giving, our tithes, and our offerings. You can look at the screens. There's four ways to give, but as we prepare to give, let's also prepare our hearts to receive, to listen. Let's still our souls to hear the word, the reading of the scriptures. Good morning. My name is Dan. The Old Testament reading is found in 1 Kings 8, 6, and 7, 10, and 11. The priest brought the chest containing the Lord's covenant to its designated spot beneath the wings of the winged creatures in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place. 
The winged creatures spread their wings over the place where the chest rested, covering the chest and its carrying poles. When the priests left the holy place, the cloud filled the Lord's temple, and the priests were unable to carry out their duties due to the cloud, because the Lord's glory filled the Lord's temple. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Lore. The New Testament reading is found in Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So now you are no longer strangers and aliens. Rather, you are fellow citizens with God's people and you belong to God's household. As God's household, you are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building is joined together in him, and it grows up into a temple that is dedicated to the Lord. Christ is building you into a place where God lives through the Spirit. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Sylvia. If you're able, please stand for the gospel reading found in John chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you and your people say that it is necessary to worship in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, believe me, woman, the time is coming when you and your people will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You and your people worship what you don't know, we worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But the time is coming and is here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. The Father looks for those who worship him this way. God is spirit and it is necessary to worship God in spirit and truth. The Gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing with me as we pray this morning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Would you teach us to be worshipers of you, those who worship you in spirit and in truth, worship you in ways that are honoring and consistent with who you are, what you've done, what you're doing, and what you are going to do. Teach us, show us, help us to be worshipers of you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated this morning. It's good to see you on this baptism Sunday. That was fun. <laughs> that was amazing, amazing. If you see any of those folks after service, please grab them and, and get a chance to hear some of their stories. God's doing some incredible things uh, in their lives. Uh, quick, yes, amen. Uh, a couple of just real quick family updates for you. Many of you know that we've been kind of walking through a difficult season uh, for the last couple months as my oldest daughter was in the hospital for 33 days with complications from appendicitis. Uh, we've been home for the last uh, 10 or 11 or so days now, and, and we're crawling toward normal. Uh, so this was a, a, just a, a really celebratory week for us. She was, uh, she's in a... Um, a hybrid kind of program for school where she goes to school three mornings a week. She was able to go all three mornings uh, this past week and able to go to her dance classes, not to dance yet, but just at least to be there and to be present and to see her friends and uh, those things. We're really grateful. And Sarah and Cora are both here today after um, 
long time of being away, so uh, Sarah will get the chance to lead us in communion again today, which I'm so grateful for. Uh, back in February, early uh, in February, the students of Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky, uh, were gathered together for their normal weekly chapel. And uh, the preacher of the day texted his wife after his sermon and said, I laid another stinker, I'll be home soon. Um, and, uh, but after this, the sermon, a group of uh, students got up to sing and another group of students stayed around to pray. And what ended up happening was that the spirit of the living God became present in that, w- in that place in a unique way. Uh, for the next 16 days... People stayed in that room and worshiped and prayed throughout the day and throughout the night. And by the end of those 16 days, they estimated somewhere between 50 and 70,000 pilgrims came to a little town of 6,000 people in Kentucky uh, to join in what was happening here. And there's still all kinds of discussions about what do we call something like this? Do we call this a revival? Do we call it an outpouring? Do we call it an awakening? And all kinds of conversations on social media about, well, what about this? And what about that? And, and you know, why this? And why that? And why isn't this happening? And why aren't these people here? And all kinds of conversations and debate, which are so important. And yet, the, 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 when you zoom out, we do see this sense that 50 to 70,000 people (laughs) drove across the country to be in a small town in Kentucky. Why? (laughs) Because we hunger for the presence of God. As people, we long to be where God is and to be in his presence. And so when we hear of things like this happening, either in our city or our country or our nation or our world, our hearts are drawn to it, and some are able to even just pick everything up and go and to be present in the presence of God. We're in a series right now through First Kings called Kings and Kingdoms. Along with First and Second Samuel, these four books give us a theological account of Israel's monarchy, of its kings. And the first half of First Kings is focused on Israel's third king, King Solomon, who's known throughout the world and throughout history for two things. He's known for wisdom, which is what we talked about last week, and he's known for building the temple of God in Jerusalem. We're going to be focusing in on the temple today. The temple spans actually four chapters in 1 Kings. Chapter 5 is all about the preparations that Samuel undertakes in order to build this magnificent building to God. Chapters 6 and 7 go through all of the copious details about how this building was put together and all the details of its construction. And then in chapter 8, there's a dedication, a prayer, a moment of consecration of this place. But today I want to focus on the theological significance of the temple and highlight two tensions that emerge inside of the text. Now, there are different kinds of of tensions that we find sometimes in Scripture, Uh, even in our lives, there's tensions that when we notice them, we need to resolve them. We need to figure out, well, what do we do with this? Why is this here? And we need to find some way of resolving the tension that's apparent to us. There are other tensions that we need to embrace because there's health and wholeness and life and goodness 
in those tensions. And to resolve it would be to lose something. And the two tensions we're going to highlight today are about the presence of God. One is this, that we find in these passages that there is both joy and there's gravity in the presence of God. There is a delightfulness and a lightness and a joy and a happiness that comes in the presence of God. And there's significance and gravity and weight that can be found in God's presence. The other tension is this, is that God's presence is universal and that God's presence is local. And how do we hold all of those together? So we're going to begin in 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 51. It says this, When all King Solomon's work on God's temple was finished, he brought the silver and the gold and all the objects his father David had dedicated, and he put them into the treasury of the Lord's temple. There's only one thing left now for them to finish the final process, and that's to install the Ark of the Covenant. Many of you will know the Ark of the Covenant from the Bible. Others like me will know it from Indiana Jones. Um, Back when Indiana Jones movies were still good, uh, before the last two, which I have no words for. Uh, But here the king assembles all the elders and the priests and the congregation, and they bring the Ark of the Covenant up, and it says this in verse in chapter 8, verse 6. So the priests brought the chest containing the Lord's covenant to its designated spot beneath the wings of the winged creatures, or in some translations, the cherubim, in the inner sanctuary of the temple, or in the holy of holies, the most holy place. And the winged creatures spread their wings over the place where the chest rested, covering the chest and its carrying poles. I always, when I'm reading a passage like this and something gets mentioned multiple times, the important thing to do is ask why. Why so much attention around these winged creatures? Why do we keep talking about them and their wings? Why the cherubim? Why are they so important in this moment? Some of you may like connect the cherubim to passages in Revelation and the winged creatures with all of the eyes around there. Some of you immediately think of precious moments figurines. Um, I think of Van Halen album covers uh, is what I think of when I hear that word. Uh, None of those actually are what they looked like, but, you know, babies with angels' wings are not what the cherubim are. Uh, But the first time these winged creatures appear in the scriptures is in Genesis chapter 3. They appear right after Adam and Eve rebel against God. They rebel against him in the Garden of Eden, and they're exiled out of the garden, out of God's place and out of God's presence. And then the passage says that the Lord stationed the cherubim to guard the entrance to Eden, to guard the way. And then suddenly they reappear in passages about the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle and now in the temple. And these are not the only images of Eden that we find in these passages. The temple was finished or completed in seven years. Finished in seven, recalling the creation narrative for us. Everything in the temple is perfectly ordered. Everything has its right place. There is no chaos present. And there are images of trees and fruits and vegetables and animals and water and light. Why all of this detail? Because the writers want us to realize that what's happening here in the temple is the entrance or the doorway to Eden. Paradise has been restored in the very presence of God's people. And Eden is not just about a place for them. It is most importantly about presence. 
It's about the presence of God. Here in the tabernacle, here in the temple, we find is a restoration of the presence of God in and among his people because we were made for God's presence and God is a God who longs to be with us. He's a God who wants to be present in and among his people. We long for it. Our home is in his, is in his presence and it's the very heart of God to be present and among his people. And the place that we first experienced his presence was in Eden. And Eden means pleasure or delights. The garden of pleasure, the garden of delight. What the writers want us to realize is the presence of God is something delightful to us. The presence of God is a delight. The presence of God is a joy that in the presence of God, there is warmth, there is peace, there is lightness, there is freedom, there is joy, there is a buoyancy to the presence of God. This is why the scriptures sometimes refer to it as a wind or a cool breeze, something that comes in and brings not only refreshment, but release to the captives. I remember when I first became a follower of Jesus, I went to this sort of, about a year after I became a follower of Jesus, I got invited to go to this wildly charismatic word of faith church in Clear Lake, Iowa called Agape Christian Family Church with my friends who are in a punk band. And uh, so I, I head to this church and I'd been to church, you know, in my life a little bit, nothing like this. I walk in and worship starts and there are people, you know, doing like the dance and the clap and I'm like, okay, um, I'm not sure what to do with this. Next thing I know, someone's running around the room and I'm like, oh. And then people are coming forward to be prayed for and then strange things are happening. And I'm like, where am I? <laughs> I, I, mean, I have to admit, like I was panicked a little bit at first. And yet then what I began to see develop was these people loved Jesus and in his presence, they were experiencing a fullness of joy. And at one point, eventually, after going a few times, I decided, well, I'm going to go forward for prayer. And I was in the middle, like Jesus met me in the middle of a very turbulent time in my life as my parents' divorce was happening and a number of other things were going on in my life. And I was dealing with a significant amount of just heaviness in my life. Life was difficult. Life was hard. I was not experiencing much joy. And I decided, well, I'm just going to go forward for prayer. And here in the presence of God, I encountered a lightness coming upon me. That something just seemed to lift or release. And as I walked out of service that day, it just, it felt like something had been taken off of my shoulders. That suddenly there was breath in my lungs again. And I can't articulate it other than I, I felt lighter. <laughs> I felt freer. I felt more full. I felt more alive. I felt more human. This is a return of Eden, a return to the pleasurable state in which we were meant to be in, in God's presence. And the presence of God is meant to be a delight to us, to bring a buoyancy to our souls. But that's not the only thing that happens in the presence of God. We go on just a few verses later, and it says, when the priests left the holy place, they got the ark all stationed. It says, then a cloud filled the Lord's temple, and the priests were unable to carry out their duties due to the cloud, because the Lord's glory filled the Lord's 
temple. Here the imagery shifts suddenly from Eden to Mount Sinai, where God delivered Israel out of Egypt, brings them to this mountain in the desert, and the book of Exodus says that God descends on the mountain in a thick cloud. And the same thing happens at the dedication of the tabernacle and then again now at the temple. That there's a visible, concrete presence of God that's described by the writers as his glory. That his glory descends. And the Hebrew word that's used there is the word that means to be heavy. The presence of God is weighty. There is a weightiness to God's presence. It's so weighty in this passage that the priests cannot fulfill their duties. There is a density, a significance, or a gravity to the presence of God. I was having a conversation with my middle daughter, Avi, this week, who loves to read science books. And she comes up to me and she goes, Dad, you know that everything that has mass has gravity? I'm like, I, I'm sure I knew that at some point, you know, at a, at a but I, I have yet to think about it in 25 or, or 30 years, um, but thank you for the re-education of me. It's true that everything that has mass has gravity, and the greater the mass, the greater the gravity, and the closer to the center of the mass, the greater that pull of gravity becomes. There are times in our lives where the presence of God is so weighty that we can't seem to move. There are times that we become more aware of his utter difference of his holiness, that it takes our breath away. There are times in his presence that become aware of our own defiance, that all that we're left to do is to be convicted of our sin and fall to our knees in tears. I remember the first time this happened to me, I was, again, as a teenager, this wildly charismatic youth group said, hey, come to this event called Acquire the Fire from Teen Mania. And I was like, okay, what could go wrong here? Um, and so, you know, a few thousand students in Des Moines, Iowa for this huge, you know, conference and everybody's, you know, singing and, you know, it's, it's all hyped up and like, ah! uh, and then all of a sudden there was this moment where someone was talking about sin and I was like, I'm a bit uncomfortable and then starts naming things that were very present in my life at that time and I became even more uncomfortable and then as we went back into worship, I remember just having this sense of my own brokenness, my own rebellion, my own desperate need for God, and God's presence right there in the midst that I fell to my knees in tears, just pleading and begging God for his forgiveness, aware for maybe the first time in my life of his weights. And we actually need both of these. We need to hold both of them together. There are times in our lives where we are gathered in worship and what we so desperately need is a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit to come sweeping through to lighten us, to bring us joy, to put a little bit of a dance back in our step. I know that makes some of us uncomfortable, but you know, just the little ones. Something to say, oh, there's hope on the horizon for me. I can keep going. I've received some rest or refreshment or release from him. And there are other times that we come to the presence of God and we get arrested. And we need both. We need to hold the tension together. Immediately after the glory falls, Solomon goes into this really rich and deep prayer. 
probably one of the richest and deepest theological prayers in all of the Old Testament. And then he says this, 1 Kings 8, 27. He says, but how could God possibly live on earth? I love the honesty of that question. <laughs> like here he just builds this magnificent temple and it's like, yeah, this is kind of absurd. What am I doing? <laughs> it's as if heaven, even the highest heaven can't contain you, how can this temple that I've built contain you? This is crazy. There is a thread throughout the Old Testament that continues in Kings about the centralization of worship. We've talked about it a little bit in this series. It says this, that there is only one place where God can be worshiped. Only one place where God's presence dwells. Only one place where God can be found and it's in the temple in Jerusalem. But here at even the dedicatory prayer for the temple, we found the counter thread that runs in the Old Testament as well. It's the counter thread that Jesus is talking about in his conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well, where they get into this you know, theological debate about which mountain should we worship on. We worship on this one, but you guys say the only place that you can worship is on Jerusalem. And Jesus is like, yeah, neither. <laughs> God is spirit and truth. So his worshipers should worship in spirit and in truth. Another passage says that God is formless. And so he cannot be contained in the ways that formed beings can. So we see this counter thread that the presence cannot be limited to any one location. The presence of God cannot be confined to one place. And so throughout the Old Testament, we see encounters with God outside of Jerusalem. Even in 1 Kings, in a few more chapters, we're going to be introduced to Elijah. And Elijah has a profound moment with God in a wadi in a seasonal riverbed. And then he has another one on Mount Carmel and another one on Mount Horeb. And we all have these moments in our lives where we can think about places that we were where all of a sudden we became aware of God's presence. Similar to Jacob, like God was in this place and I wasn't aware of it. Or there's other places that we find ourselves continually drawn to, that we might go there to be with God. We go camping every July as a family to this same campsite up in Wyoming. And we've now been there, I think this was our third summer going. And there is a walk that goes from the campsite down to this reservoir. And there's something about that walk for me and taking that walk multiple times a day that over the course of the days that we're there, the more that I walk, the more I become aware. The more I become aware of his presence in our midst. There is a universality to the presence of God. The glory of God, the psalmist says, fills the whole earth. And so as the people of God, we should live with a holy expectation that God is everywhere. <laughs> that wherever we go, God is present and God is at work. And we should live with a kind of expectation of saying, God, where are you and what are you up to in this place? And open to encounter him, to experience him wherever we go. But interestingly, we hold that still in tension with this other thread of centralization because Israel doesn't establish regular worship on any of those other mountains. There's not a regular worship site down in that seasonal riverbed and they get washed out, you know, half the time. So it wouldn't be a good place. And what we see happen in Israel's life is that whenever they try to establish regular worship somewhere else, idolatry follows. It goes off the rails really quickly. And so 
Solomon says, I know this is crazy. Your presence can't be contained. Nevertheless, in verse 29, he says, but would you constantly watch over this temple? This place about which you said my name, my presence, my character will be there. When you listen to this prayer that your servant is praying about this place, Solomon acknowledges that God cannot be contained, and yet he also asks that God would constantly be present in one place. He's recalling the promise that God made to place his name in one location in the temple. Though the presence of God cannot be limited to any one location, the presence of God is promised in certain places. The presence of God is promised in places. In the Old Testament, it's the temple. It's the place that God's presence permanently dwells. Israel continues to go there over and over and over and over again. Why? Because God's there and they know it and he promised he would meet them there. So they go with expectation that God is constantly present there. God doesn't promise to meet his people in the wilderness or in the mountain. He may meet them there, but he promises to meet them at the temple. And so he instructs them to continually to go to the promised places. When we turn the page into the New Testament, that place now becomes this, the local gathering of the people of God. The location becomes the church. The church becomes the new temple. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 2. As God's household, you are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. And the whole building is joined together in Jesus, and it grows up to what? A temple that is dedicated to the Lord. Christ is building you, church, congregation, building you into a place building us into a place where God lives and dwells through the Spirit. The church is now the place where the presence of God dwells. It's not a temple built of stone, but a temple built out of people. This is why we gather, and it's why we do so with such alarming regularity. Every single Sunday, coming back and meeting together in homes during the week. Why? Because we encounter the presence of God, the promised presence of God in the company of his people. It's why we gather. It's why regularity matters. It's why throughout history, Christians have said to make this a priority and to come into the gathering of God's people with this expectancy to prioritize his presence and expect to encounter it in the places that he promises it. This is why the writer of Hebrews says, don't stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Instead, come and keep coming back into the communion of saints that we might experience the communion of the spirits. We come to be together, but we come to be together in the presence of God. Yes, his presence is boundless, but here it's promised. And so we continue to come back as the worship team comes this morning. What I hope to do today is to heighten our awareness that God promises his presence here with us in these gatherings. There may be times that his presence becomes palpable for you. And other times you're like, ah, I'm, I'm not really aware of it. 
But as I said earlier with Jacob, God's presence is here. The hope is that we become aware. Not that God's presence comes to a place that's not already, but that we become aware of the presence that's been promised. And that presence is not limited to any single aspect of our service. There are some that you would say, you know where I experience the presence of God? I experience the presence of God in singing, in that moment of music and worship and engaging my body. But others would say, I experience it in the reading of scripture and the studying of God's word. For others to be in the saints, that when we come forward to receive communion or when someone prays over you or someone grabs your hand or you look around and see others or that moment in the doxology where we just hear the voices of people saying, all of a sudden we become aware of the presence of God. For me, over and over and over and over again, it's here at the table. The table is a place not just of remembrance, it's a place of presence that this is Jesus meeting with us, Jesus communing with us, Jesus being present to us. The real presence of God is here at the table. So as we come to the table and as we sing and as we pray, Spirit of the living God, would you fall on us? Holy Spirit, come on us today. Would you bring joy to the room? Would you bring gravity to the room? Would you bring all of you to all of us today in Jesus' name? table. And all who believe in Jesus as the true king of the world are welcome to receive here, regardless of your church background or your affiliation. If that doesn't describe you, thank you for coming. We're honored that you're here. We invite you and encourage you to keep coming, to keep asking questions about this person of Jesus. And if you are ready to begin following him, we invite you to join us as we confess our sin, as we feel the weight of this sacred place, this sacred moment. We ask for forgiveness. We feel the weight of his glory and we trust him again for our salvation. The words will be on the screen. Let's pray together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And we are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. It's my joy this morning to announce good news, words that are true, not because I or anyone else are saying them, but because of what God has done. So I invite you to open up your hands and again, receive the mercy of God. Jesus died for us while we were still sinners 
And that's what proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. The peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. As those who have been raised to new life with Jesus, please stand, greet those around you, share the peace of Christ that you have with one another. As we come back together, the words to our liturgy will be on the screen. Jesus is here. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right. It's a good and a joyful thing to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, because you formed us in your image and you breathed your life into us. When our love failed, your love remained steadfast. When we were unfaithful, you sent your son Jesus to be faithful on our behalf. On the night that he was going to be handed over to suffering and death, he was celebrating the Passover feast with his friends. And our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And after he had blessed it, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. After the supper was over, he took the cup of wine and after he had given thanks, he gave it to them and he said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, God, we proclaim this mystery of our faith together, that Christ has died and Christ has risen and Christ will come again. This table is a place of remembrance and a place of encounter. Let's sing this prayer this morning, asking the Holy Spirit to meet us here in these simple elements. I want to invite the servers to come forward. But I want to remind you that these are the gifts of God, and they are given for us, the people of God. So as you receive them today, thank you, receive them remembering that Jesus loves you, 
that Jesus died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving, with gratitude for encountering the love of God again. Today is Water Baptism Sunday, so as you come forward, there's going to be three servers at each station. And the first server is going to be holding a bowl of water. If you have been baptized at any point in your life, we invite you to remember and to celebrate this gift, this sacrament of your baptism by dipping your fingers into the water. You can make a cross on your hand, maybe make a cross on your head. As you feel that element of water, remember what Jesus has done for you, that the mercy of God has been invested in your life. So as we come to the table, remembering our baptism, receiving these gifts of God, again, I invite you to feed on him in your hearts. Let's continue worshiping together. Fade away every crown. 
Last time us in that chorus here. Here in your presence, we are undone. Here in your presence, heaven and earth become one. Here in your presence, all
Let's sing, death could not hold you. And death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring.
Church, can we give thanks to the Lord one more time for all those who entered the waters of baptism this morning? Uh, one last reminder before you go, Alpha starts this Tuesday night at the Commons, 6.30 p.m. Grab an Alpha card on your way out, sign up online, bring a friend. Uh, starting this Tuesday, 6.30 p.m. Now, as you go, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, go in peace.